always had this love of hair. And after high school, I didn't go to college. I moved to New York City and I was like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. Eventually, I started beauty school, much to my parents' chagrin. They were like, what? You want to be a hairstylist? This group that I was on was 5,000 women in LA. Wow. And so I was getting calls left and right to the point where I started saying no more than I could mm -hmm. say yes because I was only one person. And then I came to this crossroads of do I expand this mobily and bring on more hairstylists or like open a place? We opened the first dry bar in 2010. It was in the middle of a recession and people thought we were crazy. Like, like how are you going to make this business work? You know, I mean, that was part of my claim to fame with Drybar. I gave everywhere I went, I would bring blowouts. And I, these like, because we had these coasters that, you know, when we started, they were like, they look, because the whole thing is a bar theme. And they're little coasters, yeah. like at a bar. Yeah. And one of them says, lucky bitch. And then, <laughs> like, but, you know, and whatever. I'd bring, one for, him. I would bring one for him. I bring one for my dad. Popular ones. We don't have them anymore. Wait a minute. What do you mean you bring a blowout? So yeah, what does that mean? A, gift, a gift certificate, which is in the, oh, I guess okay. if you don't know this lingo, it's weird. Um, I've learned a lot over the years. I mean, I, I'm just going to have to say, I've never had a, you know. A, a blow, blow up. <laughs> but yeah. it's funny because when I saw Kim yesterday when she walked in and yeah. I noticed she cut her hair and I was like, oh, you got your hair. She was like, oh, I wanted to know what you would think. <laughs> so That's so funny. I was like, I, I love, love this. It. Because women and their hair. But yeah. the thing about, it was like giving the gift of a blow. There they are. And, yeah. and I gave, these are the big ones. Okay, too. wait, wait, wait. wait. wait what, so what are these? Yeah. These. This Talk is the here, humidifier. It, it. And it's it's Canopy. It's Canopy. So it's a brand that I got involved with a couple years ago. Did you start this brand? No, I just am technically the president of the brand. What's great about humidifiers, which most people don't know, is that they're really good for your skin and your hair because they, they're hydrating to your skin. Wow. So it helps like kind of cover fine lines and wrinkle, not cover, but like if you lived in like Nicaragua or South Florida where I grew up and mm -hmm. it's so humid out, your, your skin looks like dewier and nicer. Mm -hmm. If you live in a drier climate like we do, your skin, you know, gets like all the moisture gets sucked out of it. So they approached me about getting involved because it's so good for your your skin and your hair, which is like beauty. And so that's how I got involved. And then we've they've been working on the showerhead for a while, which takes all the impurities. And what's the name of your, your showerhead company? It's canopy, canopy. too. It's, it's all canopy. canopy. Oh, it's all canopy. Yeah, it's all canopy. I mean, it's all okay. like hydration. I think okay. is, is the best way to think of it. And. Um, the showerhead was like a big passion project of mine because it takes all the impurities out of the water, which makes your what? hair look better. Yeah, there's like a whole bunch of science that I couldn't totally explain to you, but there are filters in the showerhead which make it so great because it filters out like the, the chlorine and like the, the bad minerals that aren't good for your skin yeah, or but hair. With all these filters, does the water still come out with yeah, power? Yeah, no, it does. It totally does. <laughs> I have one. I'm using it. You'll love it. Okay, and okay, you can okay. change the setting. It's, it's really great. It's easy to put on it's great you've just started a new trend if you want to advertise your product just bring us gifts well here's the thing <laughs> you're the first one this is really awesome. no one else has brought you gifts no that's well, crazy daddy you're he, our fourth guest oh our fourth guest they, they, well that's good we'll start we'll let's this is warm a perfect up. i yeah. love this i we never are. show up empty handed no, anywhere that's a neither does he yeah it's very oprah of him really? see that's how i felt yeah. about the blowout so people one of the most popular things about dry bar and still is, is like people would buy women a blowout. So if I were to like give Kim a coaster mm -hmm. for a blowout, it basically a gift certificate to it for a blowout. And it's like the gift of great hair is like the greatest gift. So people, I would take them with me wherever I went. So I would have like five of them in my bag, if not more. And I'd be somewhere and if like I started talking to somebody about Drybar and they'd be like, oh, I had, this was early days too mm -hmm. when Drybar wasn't super popular yet. And I'm like, oh, have you been to Drybar? And they're like, no. And, and I was like, oh, you should go. And I'd hand them a gift card and they're like this is a, for a free blow and I was like yeah go get a blow and they're like 
what? Like, it's fascinating how when you give somebody something for free with no strings attached that they're like, yeah, I don't understand. You yeah, know, it's why? like it's like a moment of you see the confusion on their face and then this like surprise and delight of like, wow, you're giving me something amazing for free. And then they're a customer for life. So it's yeah. it's all marketing. How many of these do you think you gave away for free? Blowouts? Blowouts, yeah. Oh, thousands. Thousands. Th- Just everywhere. Yeah. Thousands? Thousands. Over 10 years? Yeah. Wow. I mean, and not only that, like another, like the thing that is the greatest is that my boys, when I started Dry Bar were three and five, and they're now 16 and 18. Wow. Which is crazy. But they would be in stores with me. And, and over the years, I, st- I started getting stopped or like they'd see my name. And they're like, oh, are you the founder of Dry Bar? And yeah, and it, or my email would say Dry Bar. And mm-hmm. one way or another, they'd figure it out. And then, and they'd be excited just because they love Dry Bar. And I would tell my son, usually Grant, my older son, I'd be like, go give this to her and you'll, you'll see she'll be so happy. And so, you know, he's young and he like, liked mm-hmm. the idea. And so he would walk up and give the lady very awkwardly, like hand her the yeah, blowout. Yeah. And she'd be like, what is it? And she'd realize what it is and she'd get excited. And it was like for him to feel that like mm-hmm. feeling of giving somebody something of like yeah. how good it feels to give. That was always like my favorite watching the boys. And I'd just be watching the whole moment yeah. unfold. It was really sweet. That's incredible. Yeah. How was that raising? You have two two boys. Two boys. They're they're, they're I know them as teenagers. So yeah. they're they're big guys. It's like little men. Yeah, they're yeah. little men, literally. The yeah. how was it raising boys while in the midst of like building this big business? I mean, it was bananas. It was crazy. I mean, I I wanted to be a stay at home mom. Like I was so excited and felt like I had like hit the jackpot and being able to stay home with my kids, my my first husband, their dad, Cameron, who's also the creative mastermind of Dry Bar, me and my brother and, and Cam started it together. You know, and, and but when we got married, we had our, we had Grant a year after we got married, and I was just so stoked to be a stay-at-home mom, and I thought I was like the coolest thing ever. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't have to work, I can just be with the kids. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, this is a lot of work. Um, <laughs> and after, you know, five years, I stayed home for five years with the kids. Okay. And, but I was like losing my mind. I was like, I have to do something for myself. Like I need, I was like going to the park every day. I needed to talk to adults again. Like I, it was crazy. And, you know, and that's kind of what led to Dry Bar starting, which is another story. But yeah, I mean, raising. Well, no, we want that other okay. story. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so in, in this season, I was like starting to just feel this sense of like, I love my children, but, mm-hmm. and I was like, I thought maybe I wanted to be like a PTA mom and didn't, didn't enjoy that. And was like, <laughs> but I, you don't know until you Politics wasn't it. for you. And I don't yeah. know. I mean, I, I, I appreciate all of that. Yes, and the women yes. who do it, amazing. Yes. Just wasn't for me. Right. And I was, you know, just feeling like I wanted to do something for myself. And what, what does that look like? And I had done hair for years. I grew up in South Florida with- We're in South Florida. In Boca Raton. Okay. Yeah. And, I don't think I'd ever go back to South Florida, mainly because of the humidity. It was so <laughs> intense on my hair and I have naturally curly hair. Yeah. And it was just always a thing for me. It's like, why does my hair look like this? And everybody else's, not everybody else's, but I would look at like, I mean, I'm aging myself, but like Cindy Crawford and Chrissy Brinkley, you probably remember them. I don't know if you they, know who they are. They, I know, yes, of course yeah. I know who they, they are. They always had this like yeah. smooth hair and I was like, how do they get their hair to look like that? And why does mine look like this? And, <laughs> and I would spend hours in my bathroom trying to figure it out. Anyways, always had this love of, of hair and it's would take I didn't after high school I didn't go to college and I moved to New York City and I was like I, I don't know what I want to do with my life and eventually I, I started beauty school much to my parents chagrin they were like what you want to be a hairstylist they they really like looked their nose down on it but I was like well no I'm gonna move back to New York and I'm gonna do editorial and fashion shows and all that but anyways 
I, I ended up going to beauty school, totally fell in love with it, loved the industry, loved everything about it. I did hair for a long time until I got married and had the kids. And then um, after the kids were three and five and I was starting to kind of lose my mind at home and I love my kids, but it was just like one more day at the park was just <laughs> going to do me in. And so I, I decided to start a mobile blowout business, which I had just moved to L.A., when my kids were born. So the only like real community I had in LA were moms because mm. I was in that mommy world. So anyway, I I started this mobile blow up business. I, I like put something up on a mommy group and said, hey, I'm a, I'm a long time hairstylist, stay at home mom. I'm thinking about starting a mobile blow up business where I'll come to your house and blow dry your hair, you know, while your baby is sleeping. Like that was my big push. And I, because I was a mom and I knew that like when your baby's sleeping in the middle of the day, you, you, you know, that's when you have like a little bit of time. And so I got a lot of calls about women wanting to come over and I was only charging 40 bucks, which my business model was like 220, super easy. I mean, not super well thought out, but something that I could easily do Yeah. and I could do blowouts in my sleep. And I it was never about the money. And it's, it's never been about the money, which I talk a lot about in the book, that like if you're chasing the money, <laughs> good luck. You mm. know, for me, it was all about, like I wanted to do something that I enjoy doing. I wanted to talk to adults. And so I, I started this business and I am got so busy so fast because I'm pretty good at hair and I was, you know, getting referrals and I was, you know, I was- There's nothing like a mom network either. There's not, I mean, you, I, this group that I've spread fast. It's so true. I mean, they're yeah. like, we all talk so much and tell each other everything. And this group that I was on was 5,000 women in LA. Wow. And so I was getting calls left and right to the point where I was saying, I started saying no more than I could mm. say yes, because I was only one person. And then I came to this crossroads of, do I expand this mobily and bring on more hairstylists or like open a place? Hmm. And I went to my brother who's my business partner and we've always been really close and said, you know, I'm having so much success in this mobile thing. Maybe we should open a brick and mortar. And if he's bald and was like, I don't get it. Like women can blow <laughs> their own hair, you know? And I was like, you did grow up in the same house as me. Like, you know, yeah. like the struggles and whatever. And his, his wife had naturally straight hair, which was like, the hair of my dreams and yeah. he so he really didn't get it but he was like he eventually he was like okay i he my brother had worked for yahoo and yahoo's heyday when they were first starting okay. so he made a little bit of money from that not a not a lot which is another story that's also in the book about taking money off the table but anyways i'll get to that later okay so i got him and you know he was like yeah i will back this for you and he's like I'll put up all the money and you will we'll split the business 50 50 you'll have 50 percent sweat equity which, which I was like what's sweat equity you know I had no idea what that term was mm -hmm. and he told me and I was like oh shit awesome like I don't have to put up any money and I get 50 percent <laughs> of this thing like it was so, I mean it was so this was I was you know this was over this was 13 years ago so anyways we we started on this endeavor to build the first store and, and to get women coming to me instead of me going to them mm -hmm. was the whole premise. And mm -hmm. when we opened the first dry bar in 2010, it was $35. And, you know, people, it was in the middle of a recession and people thought we were crazy. Like, like how are you going to make this business work? Was this 2008? 10, 2010. 10? Okay. The mobile right business was 2008. Yeah. yeah. So it was like, just like the yeah. tail end of the recession. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, when it was like, I remember the conversation being like, women won't spend money on their hair color or expensive facials, but they'll buy that $10 lipstick or $5 yeah. lipstick or whatever. And I, you know, I remember thinking, I really think my brother thought it was totally going to be, you know, women who had hair like me who just wanted it blown out straight and smooth. But I mean, this is a big newsflash. Women want what they don't have. Mm. So 
women with straight hair wanted curls and and like texture and body and women with <laughs> curly crazy hair wanted it straight i mean it was just like we want the opposite and so <laughs> hence the brand was built and then grew beyond our wildest dreams because of that that there was like we we were it was just it became like women with hair was our demo <laughs> i mean it was awesome you know i mean and that's, I, that's half the world's population i know <laughs> and, i mean i didn't realize like that's none so of us realized what we were like that's amazing what we were on to i mean we were it was just it was truly amazing and and in uh, someone wrote an article about dry bar called the psychology of a blowout and is a friend of mine, but she sat in dry bar all day long. And this was like the biggest aha and, and the reason the whole thing worked. I mean, she, you could see if you sat, if you sat in dry bar today, you'd see like a woman comes in pretty serious, all business. A lot of times in a hat, her hair's in a bun, you know, all business. She walks out, you barely recognize her because there's this like pep in her step. She's looking at herself like in every mirror. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. And it happens <laughs> so after every woman. It is really fascinating. Yeah. And I, I would have loved to have said, I knew that, and that's why I started this business. Like, I did not know. I knew instinctively mm -hmm. that I felt that, yeah. but I didn't know, I didn't even, I couldn't have articulated that feeling that I was having, mm. but then watching it, and then this article came out, it was so great because it was like, you really see this transformation. And then our tagline became like, we're not selling blowouts, we're selling the happiness and confidence you get from great hair, mm -hmm. which was really like, once we once we figured out that, we were like, this thing is like to the moon, you know, mm. and then, 150 stores later you know it, it worked yeah and my well, my brother used to say we every time i open a new city like we have to prove the concept we have to prove the concept i'm like i think it's gonna work yeah you know yeah, yeah. but yeah. all right so first store where'd you open it? ah that's crazy that, that was, was my question <laughs> <laughs> that's insane okay no, no go. are you guys related this is where we're in each other's brains yeah, yeah. that's great that's how me and my brother are too yeah. we can like read each other's minds <laughs> trippy um, and we know what the other one's going to ask and say. It's so weird. But the first one was in Brentwood. Okay. Yeah. And my mobile business kind of was between like Santa Monica, the Palisades, and like Brentwood felt like the perfect like thorough. Okay. okay. Yeah. So when you moved from the pop-ups to an actual brick and mortar store. From like mobile, you mean? In mobile. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you raise the price because now you had to pay for rent? No, we actually lowered it. Well, I was charging 40 okay. and we decided to start at 35. And hmm. mind you, a big reason that dry bar I think worked, one of the reasons, one of the many, is that at the time there was like places like Fantastic Sam's, which you've seen, or like Supercuts. Those yeah. places primarily do like inexpensive haircuts, but right. they also do blowouts and they're, but they're pretty inexpensive. And you know, the experience in that place isn't great. You're sitting next to a kid getting a haircut. It's just like, but women would go there mm -hmm. nonetheless because they wanted to get their hair blown out, and you know, because when you once you've had a blowout, you know the power of a blowout. So it was either that was the option, or to go to like a high end salon where they're going to charge you at least eighty, ninety, a hundred bucks for a blowout. I'm not kidding, because the the stylist would rather have that hour to do cut and color, mm -hmm. which is where the like more money right. comes mm -hmm. in. Well, so, pricing is really an important strategy. So how did you come up with 35? I, I would love to tell you there was a strategy. There really wasn't. It was like, let's make this inexpensive enough where like, you know, a lot of women can afford it. That mm -hmm. was the thing. It was like, you know, at the time, Cam, 
my ex-husband had you know a good advertising job and we he was making good money but mm-hmm. i was like the accessibility was the thing it's like i wanted and we always called it like an affordable luxury we wanted this to be something that was mm-hmm. really accessible to women everywhere so even if it was like you know for some women for sure it was going to be like maybe once a month for a special occasion and like mm-hmm. a wedding or something but you know for a lot of the very wealthy women of la mm-hmm. this was like twice a week they were doing this right you know? so it's an inexpensive enough to afford it but is it expensive enough to pay the bills well that was the whole kicker it's like does this thing work can we do enough blowouts and i literally the nights before we opened the store mm-hmm. the first location i was like so not that i'm good at math but i was like if we can do 40 blowouts we open at nine we close at like six we could probably do 40 blowouts in that time and if we do 40 blowouts, i'm 35 i'm like i think it works you know mm. i mean truly yeah. I was like, my brother started like doing spreadsheets to actually make sure it worked. <laughs> but that was like, we that would like be a good business, right. you know? And that was all it was meant to be in the beginning. And my brother mm-hmm. was like, you know, giving me the money, you know, giving me the money as a like, I'm helping my little sister. If this, if this is her livelihood, if this mm-hmm. works, great. If it doesn't, he's out some money. And we put our life savings into it, which wasn't much. It was like a 401k or whatever. But yeah, I mean, that was the whole thing. Is like, does it? Do, can we do enough blowouts? And and just to give you some sense of it, the scale. So we thought 30 to 40 blowouts a day was like a good business. I mean, mm-hmm. we were doing 70 to 80 almost out of the gate a day. Wow. Yeah, what was that first day like? Okay, and Crazy. when you say we. Wait, wait, my question. No, uh, yeah. But, no, no. <laughs> what's that first day like? But how many employees did you have on the first day? No, it's my question. Right? Because it wasn't just you by yourself then. No, okay. we had. So that's a good question because we had. Um, but prefacing this situation is that he's like, Aaron, you got to ask a lot of questions. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I love your question. No, no, go. I love it. I love it. Go, go. Sorry. Ask the question again. Ask the question I, again because I've ruined you, this clip. You guys go. 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 <laughs> okay. This is a great. Al, here's my question. Tell yes. us about the first day. <laughs> <laughs> We're fighting. We are actually fighting now. I am. Um, the first day. So yeah. It, it, we had the first shop was eight chairs and now what we learned is that most shops are 10 to 12 chairs now but mm-hmm. i wanted and i always wanted the shops to stay as small as possible because i wanted to have that intimate feel and 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 also have you guys ever been into a dry bar no but i've driven by many mm-hmm. yeah same well <laughs> you'll have to now go in at some point just at least pop your head in but the thing about the other thing that's important to point out especially because you haven't been in for anybody who's listening who hasn't been in it's it feels really high-end and luxurious even mm-hmm. though the price point is 35 dollars. like it looks like a bougie like french i mean that is like our god bless our architect i mean I was i've like, looked in the windows they, they do look really nice yeah they're really nice yeah. and so that was the thing too is that you walk in and you feel and customer service was so huge to me and that mm. very much came from my parents and they had their own company they had their own businesses and so as a kid i watched my mom and dad like bend over backwards for customers and mm-hmm. so i the customer service was like all of it was meant to feel very high end mm-hmm. and luxurious just the price point wasn't which was also part of why it worked so well so the first shop had eight chairs and I, I just didn't, we didn't know what to expect. And my brother was like, I don't think you should bring on too many stylists the first day. And even though we were getting, it was booking, people were booking online. I just didn't know what to expect that we were mm-hmm. so in over our heads. And so we had eight chairs. I didn't know if I would do blowouts or not, but sure enough, we were so busy that I was sitting in the first chair, which was like adjacent to the, like the checkout and where women were coming in and coming out. So I, I mean, for six months, I sat at that chair and did blowout after blowout after blowout seven days a week because we were so busy the, to the point where like, women were coming in and we used to have like pop-ins welcome on the window 
And women would come in and they'd be like, oh, I'm here for blow. And we're like, well, you know, we're, we're too busy. And which was a great problem to have. But mm-hmm. like yeah. also then we were pissing people off. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, this doesn't work. I mean, I, I had cha- I literally, me and my brother both chased women out who were so pissed because we said, you can't tell people something they can have and then they can't have it. Because we mm. were like, walk-ins yeah. are welcome. And then we're like, we're, we're just kidding. They're actually not. So we took that off. <laughs> and then we were like, we took it off all the collateral, which we had had all this collateral made that said walk-ins mm-hmm. welcome. We just didn't know what the business was going to do. And and so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was crazy. And so, yes, we were, mm. we were very, I don't know what, I got the so question, the question. Was, <laughs> was like, what was day one like? It was yeah, so, so busy it that was you couldn't so manage. It was so crazy. It was like, it was out of a movie. I mean, I, I remember just being like, this is the craziest thing. And having worked in hair salons a lot of my life, you know, it takes time to ramp. You have to get the word out. I mean, anything takes time. It's like marketing and you guys know. Mm-hmm. And it was just women everywhere. Like the music, that's part of like the beauty of dry bar is like it's loud because the music is so loud and there's flat screen TVs that play like chick flicks, like Devil Rose Prada and like those like guilty pr- pleasure movies that you can read the subtitles. And, and then we're, we're serving like a glass of champagne and like, or mimosa. And, you know, it's just like women heaven, you know, and women were, and yeah. then the music is loud and the blow dryers. It's just like this whole environment. If you just to give you a lay of the land, you know, and I'm, my brother wasn't there. He was still running a real estate marketing company at the time. Cam was at his advertising job. So it was just me and Sarah, my, my brother's wife. And I, I was like, I mean, it almost like makes me emotional to think about it. I, I mean, I remember like getting on the phone with them and being like, holy shit, we are on. Sorry, am I allowed to curse? No, you, you can. Are you, are you cursing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'll pull it back. Um, no, no, don't pull it back. We want, we want all of you. Okay, because yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm so bad with that. Um, so anyway, I mean, it was cr- it was it was insane. It was yeah. really insane that we were like, I mean, and I think we even, I think they even took pictures of themselves because we were on the phone together and we were all crying because we were like, Oh my God, we did it. Yeah. You know, we, we, we did it. Like, this is going to, this is going to work, you know? Yeah. And then we were like, then it was like the floodgates were open and we didn't have enough stylists. We, I mean, we also like, if you ask any woman who goes to dry bar, she'll probably tell you that like, we don't have bones in the shop mm-hmm. because we also mm-hmm. realized in that first day, week that you would call dry bar and we had the phone next to the front desk, but it's yeah. so loud and crazy that people mm-hmm. would call and we're checking people and checking people. Out, and I was like, I was like, I don't want to answer the phone and give the person that's looking at me a bad experience. Right. So I was like, stop answering the phone. We'll mm-hmm. call them back, which is like a terrible rate of work on a business, but it was the better <laughs> option. And then we, and then we had realized we had to like get into the call center business and we had to build a whole, like we had to have people outside of the shops answering the phones, which would, I mean, at 150 stores and about, you know, 150 employees per store, you can do the math on like, mm what a nightmare that was and like oh my gosh so many years of trying to figure that out because now we don't have it's like you don't have a person that's standing in the store when the you know woman calls and she's like I'm gonna be 15 minutes late or how do I get there I mean it's just it was a bit of a nightmare we didn't really know how to get around it because it was just so busy and crazy and yeah so many things we didn't know all right so how long did you have just one store six months Six months. Six months we opened the second store, which felt like a lifetime. And I remember telling my brother, like, go find another location. Like, mm-hmm. we're like the hot club you can't get into right now, which isn't going to be cool for that long. I mean, women are just going to be annoyed. Yeah. You know, and so it was like, we got to open a second location. Ironically, that second location, which was in Studio City, it was like just over the hill. The first one, you know, was in Brentwood. And it didn't, it didn't like take off right away. And we were like, what's going on? Like, what, where is everybody? And it was like kind of a new demo, like a Mm -hmm. new city. And so we had to, I mean, we would spend the next, 
you know, every store that we opened. And then finally, Studio City ramped. And we did a lot of marketing. And I would go to, like, all the local schools and get stand out there with the table. And we'd, we'd sell discounted blowouts. And, like, we did whatever. Why are you guys looking at each other like that? No, no, that? that's good. Oh, okay. I thought there was, like, a something. No, 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 no. Um, it just happened. We had the twin moment. Yeah, again. you guys we just, did. We just look at each other at the same yeah. time. So, yeah, I mean, so there, there was a lot of what people don't know which is why i pointed out is that dry bar looks like this overnight success which in a lot of ways it was mm -hmm. but there was certainly like every market required us to do a lot i mean we did like you remember groupon is Groupon? yeah i remember around? groupon yeah i mean yeah, we yeah. did groupon and we did i like i said i was like at all these like local schools to get to the moms and mm -hmm. like hey have you been to dry bar like i we we like hustled for yeah. many years because every time we opened in a new area we had to like promote it all again and, and so it was a lot of work i mean it was just so much work yeah. It's crazy. I kind of want to go back to where the conversation began in between the first store and the second store. Mm. You know, I think that's that that first scale is really terrifying. Yeah. And it's hard to instinctively know when is the right moment. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. I mean, we felt like we were on a rocket ship and we were like had to like and and like we had to keep going. And so quickly after we opened, copycats were starting to pop up, like people who were trying to copy what we were doing. So you had to go in competition with yourself. So yeah, I was like, <laughs> well, we have to keep, we have to keep opening, which would be mm -hmm. the case for several years to come because mm -hmm. people were copying us left and right. I mean, the amount of money we ended up spending that we did not budget for, for lawyers to cease and desist letters. Cause people would be like, wow. Sally's dry bar. And we we're mm -hmm. like, you can't call it dry bar. Like we made up that name. <laughs> like it was crazy. I mean, we had, we had so many legal battles. We even had like a whole thing in Europe or somebody, you know, I mean, and, and people were like taking verbiage off our website. People were putting me on their website. Oh, like, cause there'd be pictures of me blow drying hair and then they'd put, and I'd be like, you can't, <laughs> what? I mean, it was just, it was so nuts. All the things that people did, but. If you're going to steal it, just steal it all. I mean, geez, <laughs> like no shame. We're like, are you kidding me? But uh, it was it was it was it was such a like a hurried crazy time. I just remember feeling like so much pressure to not like my brother used to always say like this is ours to mess up. Like we have we have something really great here. Like mm. captured lightning in a bottle. Like we knew we were onto something so special. And if it was not going to work, it was going to be because of us. And that was a lot of like the conversations in the, those early days. And in between opening store one and store two. Which, which again, it, which is why I point out that it didn't take off right away. Mm -hmm. So it was like, we're gonna really like put it all on the line here and keep and opening another store. And the stores are expensive, like upwards of like $500,000 to build a store. Cause there was so much HVAC, there was so much, you know, mill work that got done and plumbing. And it was like, I mean, it, it was, with the air conditioning, we're pumping heat into a space. <laughs> so you can imagine, yeah, yeah, yeah. we don't yeah. need what a normal unit needs yeah. of AC. It was just like all these things that you couldn't imagine. Like, you know, we had blow dryers explode. I mean, it was just like, <laughs> you can't, you can't write this stuff. Even like in Brentwood, the first store, I would say the first like maybe week or two, maybe a month, we had these beautiful ceiling tiles and the stores pop in, super busy. I'm like doing blowouts at the first station and then the, ne next to me, somebody else is doing a blowout. And I look and I start to see this like black goop from the ceiling oh. onto the floor. And I was like, what's that? Like, what? Oh my God. And I, and I was like, huh? and then it started coming in more and more. And then it like caves through the floor. No. And it, because we were underneath like a, a California pizza kitchen or something. And so one of the pipes <laughs> burst. And I'm like, you, you gotta be kidding me. You can't make this stuff up. 
But with the best part of that story is like the the woman who was like getting a blowout, like looked, saw it, like moved her chair over and was like, can, yeah, can you keep going? You know? I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I mean, it was just nothing's like, gonna stop nothing's going to stop beauty. Yeah, nothing's going to stop beauty. So it was, I mean, it was just so crazy. It was such a, it was such a crazy time, but it was so exhilarating. Like I just remember thinking this is the coolest thing in the world. And, yeah. and then it was like, you know, all these cool things kept happening. Like I remember getting a call that like a Vogue editor was coming in and, you know, I was like, they, they want to come into dry bar and, yeah. you know, and then it's just like, and then celebrities were in left and right. I mean, the whole thing was just, it was just, it was, it was like, it was like a dream. It was like a dream that I didn't know I had because I was, I was also like the underachiever of the family. And, you know, my brother was like kind of the overachiever and, I don't know if you remember the show Family Ties. You definitely yeah, don't. Yeah. You do? I, I remember hearing about it. Well, you know, Alex B. Heaton. <laughs> of course. That's what we called my brother because my brother was oh, wow. with Alex B. Heaton, always starting okay. businesses. Just Were really, you Mallory? I don't even, I don't even remember. <laughs> like, who was Mallory? It was like- Was that the sister? It was the sister, but I mean, only yeah. everybody only cared about Alex. Yeah, that's right. And that's how that's my- That's the point. Right. My, and my, that's how I was. It was like, oh, Ali's, you know, we hope Ali marries well. Like- mm. I mean, don't get me started on all that. <laughs> I, mean, okay. I mean, even even my parents, my mom passed away seven years ago, but my but there was always this like, huh? It's so, it's How'd like so surprising. It it and it was great for me because yeah. my brother, who was always successful in most of the ways, and I was always this like, what's Allie gonna do with her life? They're like, you know, it was this was my idea, and I hmm. brought my brother in to help me, and he did in so many ways, and it wouldn't be what it is without him. But you know, there was always this kind of like. Wow, we didn't like we do, who who like late bloomer. We didn't know you had it in you. So kind of you're thing. saying your your brother's investment went very well for him. Yes, and it he loves to say that. You know, it's like <laughs> yes, that two hundred. He made a lot of money from that two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yes, he did. So did did your brother and Cam ever come over and work for Drybar? Well, not. Michael eventually did. I mean, Michael became the CEO once we ramped. Okay. And then Cam would spend like a year still, he was a creative director and he was doing mm -hmm. ads for like Jack in the Box and BMW, like big stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, he he was a creative director, so he was like running things over there. I mean, okay. he was really burning the candle on both ends because he would have to do that during the day. And he'd be like sneaking in dry bar stuff to people. Mm -hmm. And I, it was a really like tough time for him. Yeah. And then he would get home. We had two little kids. We'd get the kids to bed. And then we would be up until like midnight. He'd be working on the website or, you know, he was always doing the creative stuff. So it was it was definitely the most taxing on him in that way. Mm -hmm. Whereas Michael had a real estate marketing company at the time, which he let go. And, and I was like, you have to come and do this with mm -hmm. me full time. Like, yeah. I, you know, someone's got to process payroll. Like, yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I don't think anybody wants me doing yeah. that. And so. You don't have hair, so you ha it's yeah, you. It's, it's not all me. you. Yeah. I mean, we used to, he used to always joke that, like, because, and then, you know, and the press was like amazing too, because this was like a brand new concept and anything mm -hmm. that's new and, and thriving gets tons of press. And I knew that instinctively. We knew that. And so I was like also thrust into this, like, now I'm doing interviews all the time and I'm going on TV. And my brother would always joke, like, you know, every now and again, they roll the ball guy out for an interview. But, <laughs> <laughs> which he really, funny. I mean, we, we knew our roles, you know, I mean, yeah. we knew our, you know, kidding aside, it was like my brother really was back of house, like running everything. And I was mm -hmm. rightfully so like it was my idea. I was a stay at home mom and and became very like which another thing I didn't see coming was like very inspiring to a lot of women who were like, oh, if she did it, 
I can mm. do it. And to our stylist. You could even say you were front of house. I was front of house. What did I say? You wouldn't say it at all. Oh, you just skipped it. Yeah. Yeah. You're the <laughs> face of the brand. It's, yeah. It's, it's I mean, I became the like, you know, the face of the brand. Mm. And it's good for you to say that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was <laughs> very happy to be it. And then I was mm -hmm. like, I mean, you know, 13 years later. And I, and I think maybe we talked about this at some point, but like then, then the, I, because what you talk about in your book about six, the, the heaviness and weight of success, yeah. which really, that part really resonated to me because, you know, all these years later and I've had all this amazing like success and personal accolades and mm. been on covers of magazines and done, I mean, just stuff that I could have never foreseen, you know, and then that your identity, my identity became largely like wrapped up in this, you know, this world that I had, we had created for me, which was very authentic. And I was the stay at home mom and didn't go to college and built this massive multi-million dollar business. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, really inspiring. It is really inspiring. But it's there's, very inspiring. There's, it's there's a, a lot deal. with it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so, so right you now it. you have something. So what was it like when you realized you were going to get rid of the company, you were going to sell the company? Well, it, it was kind of a interesting time because you know, we had raised, so in order to keep growing dry bar, we couldn't do it organically because the stores were so expensive to build, mm -hmm. even though that they were doing really well, that we couldn't have done it. We would have taken us years to get mm -hmm. to the numbers that we got to. And we knew, we knew that like, we had a lot of people on our tail. So we had to, mm -hmm. we were like, either we're going to grow and mm -hmm. really do this mm -hmm. or all these copycats are going to start catching up. I mean, copycats were left and right and not everybody copied us and they were, they just opened a blow dry bar and then blow dry bars exploded, mm -hmm. you know, which I had a lot of feelings around that too. But, um, as you can imagine, but you know, we were, we were, I think you would, you could ask most women, we were objectively the best. And, mm -hmm. and I think that a lot, a lot of it was like, I really knew hair really well. We really mm -hmm. knew how to run a business. And there was a lot of things that made it very special to us. But so we realized we were going to have to raise a lot of money to, to build, keep building stores. So all in all, we raised 75 million. And that came from two different big private equity groups, which by the way, just for, for, for knowledge, because I think a lot, this isn't talked about a lot, which is in my book, like my brother and I took a lot of money off the table when we mm -hmm. raised that money. Yeah. We made much more money then than when we sold the actual company, which is, a, which is something that like, if you're building a company and you raise a bunch of money, you, it's okay to ask for money. I didn't know this mm -hmm. either at the time, but my brother did because he got burned in Yahoo, which is why I brought that up. Because mm -hmm. his friends who sold earlier made a ton of money. He didn't because he mm. didn't. He held on to his stock. So when he, when we were raising these big tranches of money, we were like, "Hey, we want to take a little bit off the table," and we did twice, and that was really where we made our money. And it's so you just, sold some of your. Ownership. We sold some of our equity, yeah, yeah, which was which was a you know enough that we were really happy, but yeah. then enough we had enough equity to stay really engaged, which mm -hmm. was brilliant. So and I, you know we we're like this is such a yeah. win win for everybody, and yeah. so, but. It was probably around, so now, so I, I mentioned that because we had a lot of investors, we had a board and you know, these guys are investing because they want to want to make money off their money. Mm -hmm. And so around year seven, six or seven, we started talking like what, what's, you know, do we want to sell this thing? Yeah. Do we want to go public? And we started like, you know, st just starting to engage in a formal process of like going through and figuring out how we're going to, what we're going to do. But right around that time, my, I, I decided to leave my first husband and then my, that's when Grant, when that all happened, we had, we lived in Orange County for a little while where my brother lived mm -hmm. and I wanted to get back to LA cause I, 
I wanted my kids to grow up, frankly, with more diversity, which there wasn't much in Orange yeah. County. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. And so we moved back and and my mom had just died. And so it was like, we had been back in LA for about a year. And I just realized that like, I think the writing was kind of on the wall that we were gonna, you know, my lifestyle was gonna change. I mean, we had worked so hard and then it was like, oh, we're gonna have money and time and freedom and space. And mm. I was like, I don't know if this is the right relationship. We got married when we were, you know, 26 and it just wasn't, I mean, that's a whole other story. It's yeah. in the book too, but yeah. it's a, you know, it's just, we shouldn't have gotten married and that's a whole other thing. But we're, we were best friends, which was also, I think, modeling my parents' marriage, which my parents got divorced when they were in their fifties and that, and then we learned so much about their marriage. That was, too much to know really but anyways so we we decided to split and my son grant who's now 18 kind of went off the rails he had really bad acne at the time and i'd moved them around a lot and mm -hmm. they didn't have like a core group of friends and grant just was in a really like tough place he started smoking pot and that led to like him smoking pot a lot mm -hmm. and then he started like just really going off the rails and like we didn't and now we're in the middle of this separation and I'm, you know, just kind of lost and their dad was lost and, you know, and, and like, you know, I'm so, I have a little bit of shame around it because I just wasn't paying very close attention to what was going on with my kid. And he was like getting involved in some, you know, LA is like a really easy place to get involved in some bad stuff. And yeah. he started smoking, he started smoking a lot and started doing other stuff and he started cutting and mm. we were like, oh my goodness, like, what are we going to do about this? And it got yeah. really, really bad. And we couldn't talk to him. Like we would ask him what was wrong and he would like, he didn't know how to like communicate what was going on with him. And it was so confusing. And finally we decided to put him in treatment and, and this is, there's a whole chapter in the book about this and yeah. he's totally fine with me talking about it. He wants this story out to help other kids. Mm. And so he would, he would spend almost a year and a half, almost two years really in treatment. And mm. so my life completely unraveled. Mm. And luckily the, the business was in such a strong place because we had brought on a professional CEO, this guy, John Hefner, who was amazing. And we had, you know, we had a board and we had, and we had hired so many people to do mm -hmm. a lot of what my brother and I had, well, my brother was, was still much more involved. And, and I was like, at that point still, I, you know, we developed a product line, which mm -hmm. is basically what we sold, not the stores, which is another story too. But we, mm -hmm. you know, I, I was, I had developed the product line, which was doing incredibly well, mm -hmm. which was another business in and of itself. And all of this stuff was already in place. So, you know, if I was gonna pick a time for my life to fall apart, it was yeah. a pretty good time because I was <laughs> able to like step away a little and deal with like the, you know, all the stuff that was happening in, you know, behind the scenes. Yeah. And and so that's, but that is when there, everybody started like kind of working towards an end goal. And also like, because my, my involvement was just changing and which was also like a bit of a, you know, tough pill to swallow is like all these other people were doing all the things, a lot of the things that I had done. Mm. And so now I'm like, where, mm. where am I even relevant here anymore? And that was a whole other thing too. And, but, and then my life was like where it was. And so it was, uh, it, the last few years before we sold the company, I was like a little checked out, but still involved. And it was just an interesting time. And so I think mm. I had spiritually like detached a lot during that time where I was like, I, the most important thing here is my son and my kids and getting them to where they needed to be, which, mm. which we did. And, and, and actually brought me and their dad back together and got closer because we were like in therapy together all the time. And it was so much to do around that. 
and then during that time they were we were like figuring out how we were going to sell this and who we were going to sell it to and mm. we ended up selling like i said the product division to helen of troy in march of 2020 mm. which was like Wow. Days before the world fell apart. Oh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Literally like, days to the point amazing. where, like, we were having conversations yeah, internally. Yeah. And my brother was managing it. I was doing much better at this point. But there was, like, you know, because we had, like, earmarked some of the money that we were, because it was like 255 million was the sale. And we'd hmm. earmarked some of it to, like, to go back to Dry Bar just because then the plan was is we were going to sell off the stores to like because most of the stores are company owned but a handful are franchise and we were going to sell off the the company owned stores to franchisees hmm. you know which was a great plan because the stores were like top line million dollars a store it was like it was, yeah. you know, we have 25 yeah. in la like mm. great it's a great idea and then you know COVID hit COVID and yeah. luckily that we signed that deal <laughs> that's, cr that's crazy, it's crazy. That's i mean yeah. and like they got a deal i mean the the product line has exploded since then that's i mean amazing. it was probably like 70 million in revenue just the product line and it's like well over 150 now so that's okay. amazing that's amazing but i have nothing to do with it anymore it's not which is a whole other thing too no but, but we, we're here talking about your new book and yes. and what, is that a copy right there? it is a copy yes. right here you want to see but, it yeah yeah the messy <laughs> truth. let's show it to the world, show it to the, world. the messy truth ali webb <laughs> i'm not sure is, is that, this camera is right, that the right here. spot there's this one yeah that's good no it's great so what compelled you to write this book by the way i love the title thank you that's a really beautiful it's title. a beautiful title thank you you know it was actually it started out as messy in the middle and then we moved it to Messy Truth, which I know is so much better. And when we came up with that, I was like, oh, yeah, this is so much better. Yeah. Yeah, because like a lot of the things I've touched on, there's, I think the impetus for the book was that I had been writing for years. I mean, some on my own. And then I ended up bringing on a ghostwriter because I don't like fancy myself as a writer per se. But that was a whole process in and of itself, like a, finding a ghostwriter that like could could get my voice down Capture, and all yeah. that. Yeah, it was 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 really challenging. But I wanted to tell. It was like you know two big ideas here. It was like I wanted to tell the story of learning how to grow a hmm. business, and I just didn't know anything about that. You know, I mean, I'd watched my parents, so I had like some foundation of like how you treat people and all of that. But like. I didn't, I really knew nothing. Hmm. And it was so on the job figuring it out. And I made so many mistakes. We made so many mistakes. And so the book is like, it's a little bit of like a business book meets like a personal memoir, mm -hmm. which if you, you know, and so if you read this and you'll like, you'll get a lot of like great business takeaways and stories of things that we did that worked and didn't work and like how we came to sell the business and how we decided mm. to bring in a professional CEO like and how we, you know, needed a head of operation, like things I didn't know, I didn't know. And and then intertwined with like, oh, and by the way, my marriage fell apart and my son went to rehab and I yeah. went into a deep depression. And my, you know, it was like all the while, yeah. you know, while we're building this massive business that was incredibly successful. And from the outside, if you looked at my life, it was like, it looked pretty good. Yeah. You know, I had this yeah. like great husband, these two cute kids with great hair. And it was like, I was like the thing, you know? and. Yeah. And I remember not wanting to get divorced because of that. Cause I was like, I don't want to be someone who's divorced. Like to me, it felt like this like shame or stigma around being divorced. And I really fought that. And then finally I was like, well, this is, this is what it is. And, and the more I was public mm. with it, because not that I'm like, you know, I, I always make the jokes like I'm not like Kim Kardashian and no one really cares what's going on in my personal <laughs> life, but, but, but I did, 
at the time when Cam and I split, there was a lot of, you know, we had like 5,000 employees and a lot of people were like, more people in, within our company were like, what's going on? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like if you and Kim got, God forbid, got divorced, like everybody here would want to know what happened. Not that you would tell them, and maybe that's a bad analogy. But <laughs> anyways, I'm just saying you, yeah. you have a community of people yeah. who love you yeah. and they see you as a unit and then you split. And so we felt like we needed to address it. So I, I posted something on Instagram that we both like approved and was like, you know, this is what's best for us and blah, blah, blah. And it was it was inc it was so well received and by well received i mean like just so many well wishes and so many people like pulling for us and and it was the first time i had recognized especially like through social media and whatever like how much people identified with like the real stuff like hmm. the messy truth the yeah. the messiness that people at that point this was like you know, six years ago, it's like, I think people were just starting to get a little more authentic on mm. social platforms and yeah. start talking about like the real thing. And I mm -hmm. was like, I, I also, that's also when I started to get really transparent. It was like, I'm not going to post things like about how great my life is when my life is like really not great. And I'm mm. like face down. I'm not, I just couldn't authentically, I couldn't do it. And so I started to talk more about like what was really going on, <laughs> like, you know, with a little, you know, not everything, but the, the the response that I would get a lot mostly from women I mean my audience is largely women was like you know as you can imagine like thank you so much for sharing this like I'm going through a really hard time with a lot of a lot of people came out of the woodwork with their kids like which is pretty amazing how many parents I know and you probably know this too like that are struggling with children who yeah. are like dealing with some sort of addiction or some sort of something who like nobody was nobody wants to admit it i didn't want to admit it i felt super shameful about it yeah. i was like i'm and, and you know like i must be a terrible mom if this is what's happening to my kid which ended up being like the biggest blessing what he went through i mean mm. he's more evolved than most adults yeah. you know yeah. based on like all the things that he went mm. through but yeah so i think writing the book was like i mean definitely cathartic to tell like the story and just put it out there as a like i think it's it'll be helpful and insightful kind of wherever you are in your journey, especially for entrepreneurs. But I think just as, you know, humans in yeah. general that like, you know, n nothing is ever kind of what it seems. Yeah. You know, there's always stuff in the background mm. that no one's talking about that I, you know, have felt like called or compelled to talk about. Mm. I mean, that's one of the reasons I was just really excited to have you was that, um, I feel like you almost carry two narratives at the same time, this incredible success and then this honest struggle with brokenness and healing. Yeah. And I think it's really important for people to realize yeah. that uh, the way to success is um, really heavy. Yeah. And um, I, I also love your subtitle, How I Sold My Business for Millions But Almost Lost Myself. Yeah. Um, it, just, it just feels so honest and so real. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that very, very much. Thank you. Well, earlier on, you had talked about uh, your parents mm -hmm. and how they owned a business. Mm -hmm. And there's this interesting dynamic of, um, of imprinting in some sense where mm -hmm. you, what you find oftentimes is that you have in your mindset an imprinting that you don't even realize is there. It's, it's mm -hmm. why, um, actors have actors as children or grandchildren. Mm, it's, mm -hmm. it's how one president has a son who's a president. It's, yeah. you know, how it, it, it's how, in a sense, almost like career paths are passed on. It's not that they're more talented or genetically more predisposed. It's that they grew up going, 
oh, everyone in my family is a lawyer, or everyone right. in my family is a doctor, or, oh yeah, my parents had a business, or um, could you just tell us a little bit about like what kind of business your parents had? What, what are some of the things you saw? You mentioned a little bit, but yeah. that maybe you, look, you can look back and realize, oh wow, this was sort of imprinted in me, and I didn't realize yeah. I saw the world this way. Oh, 100%, I mean, my parents had what is, you know, some people will recognize this name, the Schmata business. It was like, not you guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was um, in South Florida, little old lady clothing stores where like moo-moos were like the thing. And what was the word? Moo-moos. No, like no. The sh Schmata business. Schmata. It's like clothing okay. in, I don't know if it's Yiddish. Yeah, or yeah so Yiddish that sounds word. very, yeah. very yeah, Hebrew, yeah, very yeah, Jewish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My yeah. parents are Jewish. Okay. And so... My dad's dad was in that business, the Shamata business. I mean, I just grew up hearing this word so much. So, <laughs> I just learned it's something. It's just so fun awesome. to say. It. It's fun to say the word Shamata, you know? I'm, I'm, I'm picking that word out, Shamata business. I'm just going to use it in sentences all day long. <laughs> I mean, it'll be amazing when I'm here on a Sunday and Erwin throws out Shamata. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing like, it in there. I'm telling I you. I will make you so happy. It's coming into one of my talks. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so my parents had... This business and I, my dad, like I said, my dad's dad was in it. And my mom, my mom was more of like a book smart person and she got all straight A's. And my, my dad was a little bit more like, didn't do well in school, but, and followed in his dad's footprints and started this business. And we were living in South Florida and they started Flips, which was my dad's nickname was the name of the company. <laughs> they, my dad's name is Philip and they called him, they always called him Flip as his That's nickname. Cool. Oh, wow. So they started this company called Flips and First, it was just my dad, but my mom was like working for the phone company or something. Not an entrepreneur, but my dad was. And so they start this, they've opened the first store in Delray Beach, Florida. What did Flips do? So Flips is the Schmata store. So okay. it's a it's a basically a clothing store for like women's older store. ladies. And oh, so okay. they they what they strategically did, which is brilliant, lots of brilliance, mm -hmm. so much, so I learned so much from them, which I didn't know I was learning, is that they would open these little flips, mm -hmm. clothing stores in like a shopping center next to a retirement community. Oh. So it was like flips, the bagel shop, the Chinese store, the little grocery store, you get your hair cut, which also there was a hair salon right next to flips. And my parents were like, that's what you want to do when I, I was like, no, <laughs> that is not what I want to do. But anyway, so, and it was really quite a sight to see because the, at the time, and this is like really innovative of my parents, is like w these old ladies, like, you know, who were living in these retirement communities, a lot of times with their husbands still, and they, and they would take like a trolley <laughs> from the thing to the shopping center. If they wanted to go shop for clothes, the only place they could go to was the mall, yeah. because that was like pre-Chico's, mm -hmm. like stores we know now. Again, this was 30 years ago, maybe more. And so my parent, my dad was like, I think if we open a flips, if we open a store here that has like old lady, like elastic pants, big baggy stuff, mm -hmm. you know what I'm talking about, these women will come. And they're coming over anyways, because they're doing, they're at the pharmacy, they're getting their Chinese food, they're getting their bagels. And so my, they opened the first one and it was gangbusters. And my, and my dad, I mean, it was, there's so many great stories. And I remember, because I grew up in flips, like me and my brother grew up playing in like the clothing racks and we would like ticket the clothes, which was such a thrill. Like we were always, I mean, and, and the only thing my parents talked about were fl was flips, just like we always talked about dry bar. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I watched my parents and my, my dad was like the mayor of the shopping center. Like my dad <laughs> knew everybody in every store and he would bring bagels and he would also, the mo one of the most brilliant things he did was like he he set up a line of chairs at the front of the store 
and he would ha- he would get newspapers and orange juice and bagels for the men. So the husbands were sitting there mm. getting wow. just That's happy smart. as could be because obviously the longer and happier they are, the longer their wives are going to shop and the more money they're yeah. going to spend. It's brilliant. So my, you know, that was like, and my parents, you, you could, like my parents were just so happy doing this. And my mom was like running the store. And my, I mean, my mom was a saint. Like she's just, she was so incredibly patient. And to the point where like, as you might imagine, like these old ladies were a little like, grumpy you know <laughs> like I mean, you know it's when you get hot, older humid, yeah, there's a lot yeah. of things to contend with and i remember watching because i would be in the store i always wanted to be on the cash register like taking the money which is ironic you see imprinted and uh my i remember like they because they were often grumpy like they were not always really very nice to my mom and I would watch Mm -hmm. them and I'd watch the interaction and I'd be like that woman was such a bitch to you like why are you so nice to her as a kid you you just don't know any better you're just like that woman wasn't nice to you why are you nice to her like trying to figure out life and and she's like well that woman's paying our bills like we're in the service Mm. industry like we're Mm. taking care of her it's like for and and my mom as when I learned as a kid my mom was like and we don't know what's going on with her like she's also she's older she probably doesn't feel well her kid's not talking to her who knows what's going Mm. on in her life and I remember that being I remember learning those lessons like how my mom like let all that stuff roll off her back and was just like we are in this that was when I really learned I mean it's it's funny and that I'm Mm -hmm. I became a hairstylist, which is also in the service industry. Mm-hmm. My mom was like, we're in the service industry and this is our, we're servicing these women. And sometimes, you know, it was a very, like the customer's always right. You bend over backwards, customer's king. That's what my mom used to say. And she would just, you know, there. it was such a great lesson for me. I mean, you know, there were moments where I felt like it went a little too far. And I was a bit of a brat in that whole era. Like I, I would work at the store a lot and, my parents also another brilliant thing they did was like they would these women would get like the local newspaper and my parents would put an ad in the paper that says like if you bring this coupon you get a free umbrella my dad would like get sources umbrellas that were like from china i was crazy i know but and these women would come in with these coupons and they were like like give me my umbrella yeah and yeah, they yeah, were yeah. and and they or they it was like a five dollar off if you spent whatever and so they would come in with their little coupons mm-hmm. and you know this was a long time ago when coupons were yeah, more of a the, thing it was the game and and they would be like did you know every time you'd ring them out they did you take my five dollars off and i would it drove me so crazy <laughs> that they asked constantly and i was like yes i took your five dollars off." so i went in the back and i made a sign that, that said yes i took your five dollars off and i pinned it to my my shirt oh, that's and my fun. mom was like what are you and i was up in there at the front and i was so proud of myself and i was she's like you cannot do that. that is funny that is oh funny. my god i haven't thought you're about solving that. the problem yeah. before the problem comes up i there know you go. and, and go. she was like that is very obnoxious you have to take that off and i was like <laughs> i just cannot hear this again you know but it was i would get really annoyed and it was my mom was just she just didn't get annoyed she was so, so patient. You're, you're annoyed by the five dollar off coupon but you gave at least a thousand free blowouts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I got older and learned how important that was. I was to be clear, I was just more annoyed that they asked all yeah. the time. Like they just didn't they trust. They cared so much about the. Because you were like, yes, yeah. we did it. But you know, it was like yeah. they did, they had like a few things to worry about, and that was one of them. That you was know, one of them. yeah. But it was it was really like fascinating watching my parents operate this business. What well, wasn't so great? The downside of that whole thing was that. It, the business was really good in like the the season right. and then off season was really bad and it was really hard on my dad and my and we saw a lot of emotional volatility mm. from my dad which mm. 
I don't think served me very well with my yeah. relationship with men, which is a whole other. Yeah. That's another book. That's you know, a, I mean, truly, book. it's like been yeah. really fascinating as I've discovered, you know, my, you know, when you're growing up in that, I'm careful what I say because well, it's probably not the environment to talk about my relationship with my dad, but out of respect, yeah. out of respect. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's been yeah. interesting that yeah. now in this kind of second season of my life and like going mm-hmm. through another divorce and like realizing some things. And even my dad has been like trying to like kind of go back and be like, what, what happened? You know? And like, I've learned a lot about, you know, my relationship to men. And I think that your first relationship to a man is your dad, you know? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. <sighs> And so much of your dad's identity is probably connected to his success and failure. And when it was going well, exactly. he felt valued and important yeah. and had more to give. Yeah. And when it wasn't going well, he felt like he didn't have value, didn't have a contribution to make to his family, which probably took out on the people he loved. Yeah, um, exactly. I have a question. It's, maybe it's a light one, but you were talking about the complaints that people would make when they when they would bring in their cu- coupons. What was? The, did you have <laughs> Let's like go a back to the coupon? Did, no, I just I like the, I, I know I do. I love it because <laughs> what what was the, like the top complaint at Drybar? Ooh. Oh, I didn't see that coming. No. I, thought oh. we were, I thought we were still in flips. No, 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 no. I just <laughs> was there like a complaint? Um, that you're like, I have to solve this. I mean the. The biggest complaint was Walkins prop- welcome. Other yeah. than plumbing, I mean, that just was, falling. But, but that you know that there was like a there was a couple of them that were big ones. It was really booking mm-hmm. to the walk-ins, but but more just my my goal and my dream of and, and I really think part of what worked for Drybar, but it was also hard for some women to like adjust to, was that I didn't want Drybar to be like a typical salon, like where mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I go and I see Sally for my haircut every week or mm-hmm. every month or whatever. Mm-hmm. I wanted women to go in and sit in anyone's chair and have a great mm-hmm. blowout and not just book with one person. Right. Mm-hmm. And so to pull that off was a little challenging because women, of course, like found people that they loved. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it was like, well, we're open seven days a week. Like what feels like 24 hours a day. Like we can't possibly <laughs> have a, that yeah, stylist. And my, I was always like trying to get people to like, well, just try this person. Yeah. They're all kind of trained the same. And I also like, again, if you guys haven't been in, but like every, every station is like, is, is, um, has the same blow dryers, the same brushes, mm-hmm. like and, and standardized. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I, and and that was like a, a visual thing for me. I was like, mm-hmm. I know how it looks and feels when you walk into a salon and there's like a red blow dryer here and this there, and it was like, you know, I'm so like neat and particular about yeah. things, and and so I wanted every station to look exactly the same. And of course, stylists were not happy about that. They were like, well, I want to bring in my favorite brush. I'm like, well, you can't, you know? And <laughs> and and they would be like, I'm like, I get it. Like, and, yeah. and by the way, dry bar wasn't for everyone in terms of stylists. Cause it was also a very, like, we all work together and some stylists didn't like washing their own clients. It was like, you have to do that. It's just part of what we do here. Mm-hmm. It's totally fine if that doesn't work for you, yeah. but this is, yeah. the, this is the thing. So getting clients to get comfortable going to several different people instead of just like their one the stylist, one that was yeah. a big thing. And then just getting people in, you know, because we always had so much more demand than supply mm-hmm. because getting hiring stylists was hard. It's a really labor intensive job. And we would make it so stylists could only work even like a three or four hour shift versus, you know, a mm. typical eight hour shift because yeah. it's so it's so hard on, on the body. And so that uh, hands down was the biggest problem, mm. I would say, that we always dealt with was like getting enough stylists mm-hmm. and just people. I mean, yeah. people is hard and. Um, but you know, and then and then it was like, 
you know, I would say like some, sometimes people weren't happy with their blowouts and I felt like I had like a superpower. I could walk in any shop anytime and I could tell if it, the way a woman looked hmm. and her demeanor, I was like, she's not happy. We got to fix this. Okay. You know, even before the blowout was done, like I would walk and then I would like casually walk up to her because it's like a bar and I would be like, how are you? How's it going? Like, you know, and I'd like start chatting with her because I knew I could eventually get to mm -hmm. like, you're not happy and I know you're yeah. not happy. And I would switch the stylist make mid blowout because I knew she wasn't happy, you know, mm -hmm. or sometimes I'd step in and just like fix it because I Take knew over. how to make it better. Wow. Well, what makes uh, this is <laughs> you're like, what? What makes a bad blowout? Oh, I mean, first of all, you should go home and ask him that too. Or yes. even Mariah. Yeah. Like, I mean, no, no, my wife's no, come no. home unhappy. This yeah, place is a temple. Yeah, 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 you know, she's come unhappy and then yeah. at times she's just glowing. Yes. And Well, you know, I mean, listen, it's like, I feel like, you know, it's like, you know how like when you put on like, I think I'm, there's like a way that we want things to look and feel. It's just like the way if you mm -hmm. like, I think clothes are the best way to, you know, it's like, you know, the way something yeah. fits and it right. fits really well. And you like how, it, yeah. where it lands on your body and how it feels on your body. Like all of that stuff. And for me, it was like funny because when uh, the way stylist would audition for to work at Drybar was to blow out my hair, which was not fun because I have a hard time not showing how I feel in my face. And so people, you know, I would be getting a blowout and the stylist who worked there would be like, oh, you did not like that, did you? And I'd be like, oh, no, I didn't. Um, and, you know, try, trying to like not show That's my funny. like disgust in yeah, like the blowout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But oftentimes I was really disappointed. And, and it's like, first of all, I think the biggest thing is like, and this is like a metaphor for life too. It's like if a stylist doesn't, have control like m emotionally and mentally over the blowout like they're they're really timid and they're afraid to touch the hair and they're afraid to brush mm -hmm. the hair a client a woman like you just feel that and you're like no like you don't yeah. have any confidence and so i don't have it now i don't have any confidence in you and and mm. that in and of itself can ruin the whole thing wow. who cares if they're good or not good if someone and i feel like that too like i'm instantly annoyed if someone starts doing my hair and i don't feel like they know what they're doing like and, and sometimes you have to like kind of fake yeah, that because you can yeah, be a really yeah. great stylist, but you get really intimidated, which happened to me all the time when I would get blowouts at Drybar because I was who I was in Drybar when a stylist who was like a stylist everybody was raving about, I would yeah. sit down in her chair and she'd be <sighs> like, I'd be like, and I, could, I and I would try to even like not be paying attention so I could take like the pressure off. But inevitably the blowout wasn't as good as I wanted it to be. And, 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 and I just was like, she's just not on her A game because she's so nervous, you know, because mm -hmm. it's me and whatever. But also like we had so many like celebrities and people coming in, like you couldn't, that was, you couldn't be like that. Like you had to you like- You had to really be able to step yeah. into the moment. But I think, so that's like the first thing that goes wrong. And then it's just like some stylists aren't listening and some, you know, and it's like some, you know, some are better than others and are, you know, and then women are very particular, like about how they like their hair and how, how they don't like their hair and like, if. You, you've experienced that with, you know, with Kim, if she comes home happy, <laughs> like they got it. If she didn't, they didn't. And, and there's a lot of that is training and a lot of, you know, we had a massive training program that I, you know, worked really hard with on this, with the stylist. And yeah, it's, it was a lot, you know, That's cause like, you're touching somebody. So it's a very personal business, you know, yeah. it's like you're physically touching yeah. someone's head and yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you have a ton of new projects now yes. that we touched on in the beginning. Yes. So why why come back and start why? doing all of these things? Well, I mean, I think it was like, well, so my brother, when we were we were getting close to exiting dry bar, my brother was like, I feel like there's the same problem in massage as there is in 
as there was in blowouts because it's this, it really is. It's like, there's the like discount massage places that you know, and then there's like a spa where the discount places are like pretty hit or miss. You know, the price is okay. And then there's the spas, which are like upwards of $300 for a massage. And my brother who couldn't partake in blowouts was like, (laughs) you know, and we were always like big massage goers. Like, why is there not a better, you know, massage thing? Um, and so he, he came to me with this idea of like starting this massage brand, which is now squeeze, which is our massage concept. But I was like, I just don't have it in me. Like I can't do this from in my life. I mean, so much had happened in my life and I was like, (laughs) no way. But Brittany Driscoll, who's the CEO of squeeze was our head of marketing at dry bar. And she was about to leave and she wanted to start something new. And she'd been with us for like seven years and really helped us build the business. She's amazing. And we're like, hey, we're, we're thinking about starting the, this massage thing. Would you be interested in running it for us? Mm. And so she was. And so Michael and I funded this brand, which is a completely franchised operation. And we started it about six months before COVID. And the, the thing about Squeeze is it's it's the same founding team as Driver, our same architect. Cam did all the design. And we built our own app. So you book on the app, you tip on the app. You guys should go, by the way. We need to go. Now, where's the location? Where's the well, the only one here is in Studio City, okay. but it's not far. Okay. But I'll give you my code. You can go and try it. On. See, another. I know. Another <laughs> thing. You but it's, it's, but, but it, do I get my $5 discount <laughs> coupon? <laughs> you get it for free, Erwin. Um, but I still want the $5 coupon. <laughs> you know. <laughs> no. So you, but what's great is when you book on the app and you tip on the app and you put in all your preferences, like you like oil or lotion, if you like the bed heated or not, like the music you like, it's very customizable. And then when you're done, you just walk out because you're, you're basically paying in advance. And Mm -hmm. so that's really the big differentiator. And we started, like I said, before COVID had to shut down, luckily we were able to make it work and we've sold 80 units already across the country. So that business is about to take off. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. That's incredible. You just, you're just magic. I know. I mean, it's, it's not me. It's this one's Brittany. I mean, I, I'm, I come in and like help more from like Mm -hmm. a press perspective, like to get the word out, like talking about it Mm -hmm. now, but it's really Brittany, but it's also just like, it, it was, it was like a needed thing in the market, which is like always the advice I give entrepreneurs is like, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to invent the iPhone. Like you just take something that isn't great and make it better. It's like, if you think about all the things in our lives, I always, I always, I mean, it's like a, I'm sure you feel this too. It's like a curse. Like I walk in a, any store or business and I'm like, this could be so much better. Like mm-hmm. this just, why are you not doing this? And why are you not doing this? And why are you not doing this? And it's like, it's almost like, you know, it's okay. just so much noise in my yeah. head that I'm like, I just need to not make a, I don't need to reinvent this business. Yeah. That's, do you feel that way all, all the time? When you, when you talk about people who are, talk with people who are writing books or authors or speakers, you, you can't turn your brain off. How yeah. do you control it? One, when I'm trying to experience something, I try not to critique it, you mm. know, and just experience it. I know, it. I should do that. And but, How does that but, go? I try, what? I try How does that, that go? It doesn't always go well. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> go well. That's a, he's, he's really <laughs> yeah. giving himself, Thanks, himself like a hero yeah. right now. <laughs> you know, How many um, times he's walked into places and walked right back? <laughs> I have those moments too where I'm like, just let it, it is what it is. Just enjoy mm-hmm. it for what it is. I have, I have those moments. I just also like, know how I could fix it. Mm. Yeah. Like we just had the, the arena the, uh, live here in LA and we had probably 10 speakers. I wasn't in my critiquing mode. Oh, that's awesome. I was really just in my overwhelming gratitude mode yeah. that all these people were willing to come and speak. Yeah. And so I kind of, I'm a really good, I think, um, student in that sense, yeah. because I'll learn something from everyone. Yeah. You, you know, 
And then the, later they'll ask me, and they usually do, they'll send me text, can you critique my talk? And I usually don't or don't want to yeah. and try to avoid it. And yeah. Because some of it means I have to now put it in a whole different category. Yeah, versus you know? just enjoying or taking what you yeah. like from it. And, and they think I was critiquing it. Yeah. But I wasn't. And I also know that if I critique it, they'll think that's the way I was thinking about it when they were speaking. Yeah. But it wasn't the way I was thinking about it. I was just going, oh, I, I just, enjoy this. I just, yeah, I just love that Todd did, or that Jim did that, or, you know, yeah. just love that, you know, Sonequa did that, or something. And, yeah, yeah. and other people would be more critical. They'll say, yeah. you know, this could have been different, this could have been different. Um, but there is it, a huge differentiation between like being a creator and being a curator. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think it's, it's, I've watched you because you're someone who is so gifted at speaking. Like as a, as a creator, it's hard for you to step into the curator space. So like, is, do you have any tips to like going from being the entrepreneur creator to going, okay, now I can curate obviously multiple companies and there's gotta be massive problems. There's gotta be problems every day with every mm-hmm. company. Mm-hmm. How do you like help now, I guess, lift the hole up versus going granular with every detail? Well, gosh, I mean, I don't, I, I think I'm in a really awesome position where I don't have to be in the weeds anymore and Mm -hmm. I don't have to deal with the day-to-day problems which I'm so grateful for I love Mm -hmm. to be I love that I'm up here now and I'm not in 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 but does it ever bother you where you go okay you sold dry bar there have to be moments you go oh I know what you're gonna say (laughs) what what I imagine it's like the amount of complaints that still come to me about like what's happened to the brand which I'm I want to be careful of how I talk about this but like I mean, I get DMs daily. That's what I was like, going. we wish yeah. you'd come back. It's not the same and blah, blah, blah. And it has to be hard for you going, oh, it's not really reflective of my purest vision. Yeah, Without being any, yeah. without being negative. Yeah. Once you're gone, it doesn't reflect you the way it used to. Yeah. yeah. But even with Squeeze, you know, I know you're part of it, yeah. but because you're not granular, there are probably things that they do that you would you would do differently instantly. A hundred percent. I mean, it, it, it mean, and I... I try to, and I, I try to like, because it, we didn't really talk about this, but like when, when John, our CEO from Drybar came in and I was, I used to go in the stores mm-hmm. and, and just like in, in the vein of this conversation, I would go in the stores and like, I'd walk in and my head would explode because <laughs> I was like, the music's not loud enough. I don't like the way I was greeted. The floorboards are dirty. The mu- I mean, everything was wrong. You sound like wrong. me when I walk in anywhere. Oh my <laughs> yeah. God. And so I was like, I, you know, and so, Mm-hmm. My, you know, inexperienced, a little bit immature side of me would be, I would just, I would literally like get towels and start cleaning the floorboards and I would start telling everybody what was wrong yeah. and, you know, like a maniac. And John eventually, our CEO was like, Ali, you know, sat me down and was like, listen, like when you walk in a store, which I didn't even think about this, but he was like, when you walk in a store, you're the founder, people are excited to see you, you know, it's like, you know, it's like if you started like fixing the chairs and like everybody would be like, what's Erwin doing? You know, Mm -hmm. it's like people would, you know, it's just like you have a team of people who help this place run. And I, you know, I had a team of a lot of people at Drybar that made it run. But when I would walk in and it wasn't exactly how I wanted it to be, I would just kind of lose my mind and mm-hmm. everybody knew it. It's just mm-hmm. like with the blow dries in my face, you know, it was like, and in my mind, I justified it like, this is really important, you guys. Like if it's not, it, you know, as a consumer, I felt like like what you just said, mm-hmm. a consumer will walk in and they'll notice one thing and then they'll yeah. notice another thing because yeah. they notice that thing and it's a snowball effect. Like yeah. you can't escape that. You, you see one thing wrong and you start to denote, I don't know what yeah. the, 
science behind that is, but I know it happens, you know, mm -hmm. and it happens certainly for me. And I also used to live in this like, the whole thing's gonna fall apart. Like it's like so <laughs> fragile that the whole thing's mm. gonna fall apart, which was also mm. another lesson I learned in like allowing people around me to take over and to learn how to delegate so that they could then go on to make their own mistakes. Right. But I think sometimes one of the hardest things is to accept that different mm. isn't wrong. Yes. It's oh. just different. Mm. I mean, that was something we said too, is like with our <laughs> franchisees, it's so funny you say that because with our franchisees, I, we were very particular yeah. that this is how it is this has and you mm -hmm. might have some great ideas but they're not but they're not what we want like right. there's a lot of ways to do things right mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. th there's one way we do things mm -hmm. you know and that you know is a little bit different but but what the best franchisees in my opinion were the ones who would bring stuff to us and say hey i know this is how we historically do this have you thought about doing da, da, da. And then I'm like, oh, I'm wide open. Like, right. let's talk about that. Yeah. Don't yeah. do it before you talk mm -hmm. to me about it though, because like you you can't implement something and then be like, oh, what do you think about this? And like, then, then it's like your store is doing it, but the, you know, a hundred other stores aren't. And now, you know, then the customer starts to get confused about what the yeah. brand is about, you know? So, yeah. so I agree that mm -hmm. there are, you know, but it's also, you know, if no, the flip side's really important too. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think one of the challenges, because even when we have multiple locations of mosaic is realizing that there are certain things that you want transferable everywhere mm -hmm. and they're really important to you yeah and they have to figure out what things matter to you but they're not really as in, they're not really important to maintain the culture you just have yeah. to let it go and let yeah. people express things in their own unique way my brother used to always say we have bigger fish to fry mm. you know yeah. and i was like okay like, but i like <laughs> these little small fish i like them i like the little they feel fish good to me. yeah i mean and that really yeah. was like a, a rub that i think was an important rub it was like we'd be in board meetings and mm -hmm. we'd be talking about this stuff and the numbers are great and we'd have like we'd have a a survey that you fill out, like a, a really simple one. A, a, mm -hmm. When a woman came in, she'd fill it out, really simple questions. And we would, you know, and analyze the data, which to me, it was like, I, I was like, it was more important anecdotally, like what I saw and heard. Cause I was mm -hmm. like, I had a bunch of friends in LA and I would hear what was working and what wasn't. And, you know, our complaint rate was like 1%. It was incredibly wow. low, wow. but 1% of a million is a hundred thousand people. <laughs> Does nobody care about that? You know, and that was my <laughs> argument in board meetings. And I was like, but you guys, it's a hundred thousand people. Like, why does nobody, yeah. that's so many people, you know, yeah. but not compared yeah. to 900,000, mm -hmm. I guess. And so I was like, always the like, you know, I don't know. It's like a blessing and a curse. Cause it's like, I, I think part of my genius was like, it can always be better, you mm -hmm. know, and not getting to not getting complaints complacent, but then also learning that like it's not going to be perfect ever, yeah. mm -hmm. and that's okay too. Mm -hmm. Still, I feel like I have like a tick even <laughs> saying that, you know. I'm like, well, all right. Okay, so back back to the new <laughs> back to the new projects. Are you done? Are these the pro last projects, or do you are you continuing no. looking for new projects? No, there's yeah. so many projects. Um, so there's Squeeze, and then we also have a concept called Brightside, which is okay. an infrared yoga oh, studio. Wow. We just opened okay. in Culver City, so Amazing. it's infrared yoga and then infrared saunas. So you Incredible. can go in and do that. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and we have, you know, because we've kind of formed this thing called the Feel Good Company, which mm -hmm. houses Squeeze, Brightside, and then we also started another that's concept cool. a couple of years ago which is because it was right around COVID, the timing was pretty bad, but it's called OK Humans, okay. which is like a therapy concept where, you know, it's, it's again, the same, all these are the same founding, you know, same architect who's our architect's amazing, Josh Heitler. And he, 
you know, builds, we basically built this place where it's like a beautiful build out where therapists can go in, but it's next to like Susie Cakes in Brentwood. Mm. So it's like, the idea is like to take the stigma away from therapy and like it's right next to like Whole Foods and you it's a daily use kind of thing. And mm-hmm. it's taken a little while to ramp, but now we accept insurance. So that's like another business. But you know, I'm, again, I'm, I'm not super close to any of those. And then I took on the role of Canopy, which we've talked about, and I have a jewelry company, and then I just started my own mastermind. And so you just can't stop, won't stop. No, it's like it's just like I think I thrive in the chaos of like a million things going on. That's amazing. And I also feel like really, you know, wanting to give back to entrepreneurs what I've learned, and and these the the blueprint is what it's called is this mastermind yeah. that I'm doing with I don't know if you've heard of Create and Cultivate. No, no. So Create and Cultivate were these big conferences that were like female founded okay. like base and and they were huge before covid huge and my friend Jacqueline Johnson started it and she sold it but it was like it was similar to like similar to the arena where like the speakers don't you know the speakers just come in and you know, women pay like 300 bucks a ticket. And there's like all these women, like, you know, people like me, it's not even just women, but like, then there's like, she's gotten like Kim Kardashian to come speak. Like you, it's like the full gamut of speakers that are, you know, and then there's breakout sessions and she did this for years. And and then she turned around and sold it uh, a couple of years ago. And and we've been friends the whole time because I've spoken at at it a few times and her and I have been like looking for a project. And then we, we teamed up with this other girl and started this thing called the blueprint. And we just did it for the first time. And it's like a six-month container. Amazing. You know, you know what those are. So, yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's exciting. But I'm, you know, I'm in a phase. Or actually, I just reached out to Kim, and I was like, I really want to, like, I want to get through. I'm, I'm excited about the book launch, and I, and I, and you, you know, it's like, you have to self-promote, and you have to go do all the things, and I want to do that, and I want to get this book out, and I want it to be successful. But then I'm like, but then I want to like stop talking about myself, and I want to <laughs> go do something for other people. And I reached out to Kim, and I was like, I want to do like stuff for Habitats for Humanity, and I told them I want to go to Malawi next summer. Like I want to go. Also you need to. I, I'm like, I gotta yeah. get like. That's cool. I'm I'm really proud and excited of this book, and I can't say that enough. But I also like excited to like get through the the whole thing and like get and like get away from myself a little like yeah. I don't know if you ever yeah. feel that way but yeah I get yeah. that I hear yeah. we both talk about ourselves all the time to each other so we we're, we're we get the sounding board but uh no I just want to yeah. say thank you for joining us like, yeah and it's been great it's been it's been so lovely like we weren't I'm such a big fan of the Guy Raz interview that happened a while back I know I mean that was so surprised when you so were cra- talking about that we were talking backstage at the arena dad and I, I don't know if you were there but me and Matt when we when I got left in Denver when we were going to yep. Christmas we were driving from Denver to like a mountain town. We had four hours to kill and we just turned on the Guy Raz podcast and we started with one guy and then ended up with Ali. And and then when, it, when we first heard Dry Bar, oh, wow. I was like, do you know what this is? He's like, no, nah, I have no idea what this is. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, next. And he's like, no, let's just try it. And then we ended up being like, that was the best one that we've heard in the I know, day. I was so touched when and you told me that. I was like, yeah. I, first of all, you're guys yeah. so you know it's always like women I usually we're hear googling what dry bar was <laughs> while we're listening to the thing there so. is a dry bar in denver now yes yes so thank you so much for doing this but I, yeah i want to close by just asking you a couple questions you answer it real fast okay what's one thing you're learning to be a beginner mm. beginner mindset love that what's one thing you're letting go of attachments mm. trying to like yeah, I'm like trying to get more. <sighs> I get very easily attached to things and people, I'm trying to be okay on my own. 
And what's one truth you'd love for other people to get a hold of if they miss everything else? Jeez, mm. Erwin. Um, I mean, I feel like maybe this is a cop out, but I think like what you said this week about um, the, like what landed to me as like the mirror we are to the world of like what you, the love that you give is the love that you get and the, the you know, how you're getting treated as a result of how you're treating people. Like that is like, to me, like if you can just like remember just that, like you'll have a pretty good life. So, I love that. I'm sorry to steal your words, but no, it I, really I impacted me. Thank you. I want everyone to go pick up the messy truth. Yes. <laughs> and do it now. In, in fact, um, I don't know how we do this. People comment because I want to give yeah, a yeah. book away to someone. Yeah, which, let's give a book away every just, day. For sure. Um, for, make, from, for the leave a comment. Yeah. yeah. Tag Allie. Yeah. And a couple of friends. I don't know how to do that. I'll set up that part. You'll set that <laughs> I got part you, up. I, got you. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, we'll give it we'll give a couple of books. We'll give a bunch of books. But I just want that. people to learn I want people to commit to tell their own messy truth. Yes. And I think that would be the powerful takeaway for people. Wouldn't the world be a better place if we could all do that? We're, if we were all more worried about our own mess than everybody else's, I yes. think that would be make yes. the world a much better place. Well, thank Allie, you we so love much. you so much and we're so grateful to have yes. you. Thank you guys. And you'll be at the arena with us next year. I know, I can't um, wait. That's I'm right, one of our keynote speakers. I'm so excited. <laughs> it's going to be incredible. All right, thank you. Awesome. Thank you guys. All right.